0: To get your Bibles out, um, open your Bibles. If you have um, your Bible on your smart device, then turn on your Bible. And I would like you to turn to Ephesians three. We're going to begin there. Ephesians three. It's uh, in the New Testament and uh, kind of towards the end and uh, towards the end of your Bible. And um, and we're going to start there on this series that we've been in called Legacy. We've been talking for several weeks about how to leave a legacy, about who we are individually and how we can live beyond, beyond ourselves. And um, we're also asking that as a church, how can our church leave a legacy in Austin? Does it matter that we're here? Um, what What is the legacy we're going to leave? So um, let's pray and and then we'll begin. Father, we just take a moment and we pause as we open the scriptures and look to you. We ask you to fill us with your words. And would you let your words give us life? We choose you to speak to us above all the noise of our culture and the noise of our, even our own minds. And we we allow your voice to be front and center. We'll listen to you And we ask you to give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom and the grace to obey. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You know, most of you may know that we have three locations as one chapel. This is Austin location, and then we have one in Kyle that we planted. And then we have one in Lake Travis that was really a church that had already been in existence but was in trouble and needed help. And we kind of came to... To help them uh, from a very difficult moment, and they became part of our family of neighborhood churches. But they have a cute little steepled church. And so, one of the first times my family and I went into that church, it was really kind of a, a, a cool experience. And my youngest, he's um, 11 now, but this is, he was nine years old. And, and he's walking into the church, and, and I remember it. He turned to his mom and he said, Mom, I've never been to a real church. (laughs) It's like he grew up in church, but I've never, and it made sense to me. It's like, oh, he's been having church in movie theaters and, and commercial office buildings. He's like, this is a real church. I fear that sometimes we don't understand what the real church is. What is the real church of Jesus Christ? How should we see it? How should we see ourselves in it? The Apostle Paul outlines it right here in Colossians 3, verse 10. And he's outlining what is the role and the purpose of God's church. And he says, speaking of God, he says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose. Wow, this is, like, this is like cosmic. That we would make known the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers, not just of the planet or the authorities of the planet, but of the heavenly realm. Paul is talking about the fact that there is a spiritual realm, and our physical realm intersects with the spiritual realm because of what we believe in the way we live. It's supernatural. And then he goes on to say, he says that, he, he says, uh, let me, I'll just keep reading here, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence. I fear that sometimes we just see our participation in the church as one of those nice things that we do from time to time, maybe once or twice a month, if we have time to come on a Sunday morning and sit here and listen to something nice. Nothing could be worse than for you to think that about the church. Nothing could be worse than for you to relegate the life of the church to this Sunday morning hour and a half that we have together. Nothing could be worse for you than for you to think that the purpose of all this is just so that you can feel better. There's something beyond that. There's something that is so powerful So incredible. It goes beyond just what is going on in this realm. It extends into the spiritual realm and then has repercussions in the physical realm because of the work that we do together right here in this city, in our community. This is the idea of church that we have to get in, that we have to grab a hold of and be involved in this is the legacy series that we've been talking about. What is the meaning and purpose of what we're doing here? And it is my opinion that all of us, are, we go through four steps when we become part of the body of believers, when we become part of God's people, when we're born into the family of God. We come to a moment where we have an experience with God. That's step one. People have an experience, an encounter with God, and suddenly they realize He is who he says he is. They come to know him. That's the first fill in the blank in your outline. We experience God. Everybody does that. Everybody has that moment. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's not like 12 years ago I had an experience with God. It's like the guy who stood in front of the altar, you know, and said I loved you to his wife, but then for the next 50 years didn't say it. She said, how come you never say it? He said, I told you I loved you once. If it changes, I'll let you know. That's not a recipe for a great marriage, nor is it a great recipe for a relationship with God. He he wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. But as soon as you do that, you realize, oh, my goodness, there's there's another step here, and that second step is about finding freedom. It probably isn't news to you that when you come to Jesus, he doesn't rid you of all your problems. News flash, you still got to live here in this body with this all this stuff going on there are there are difficulties and challenges and there's stuff you bring along with you to your past it is my opinion from reading the scriptures and looking at how this life with god works that there is one thing yes one thing that is instantaneous one thing that when it happens it is it is immediate and that is forgiveness when a person, a human, comes to God and says, I'm sorry for living my way. I want to live your way. I want to give up my life, and I want to surrender to your life. It is immediate. All sin is atoned for and, and washed away from your soul. Forgiveness is immediate. <laughs> Sadly, everything else is processed. <laughs> Everything else, is, everything else is a process of character building and perseverance and God showing you how to be an overcomer. Everybody wants to be an overcomer, just nobody wants to have to overcome anything. It doesn't work that way. You have to find freedom in your life because you bring so much baggage to the table, and God wants to relieve you of it. He wants to release you of it, and some people, they, they get that immediately. Others, it takes a little longer, but finding freedom is another step and another part of your journey. Then there's a third step, and it is discovering the purpose for which you are here, because once you find freedom, it's all, everything starts to make sense. Oh, I'm here for a reason. God has an idea for me. He wired me up in a specific way, and I've got to join all these other people because I'm part of the purpose. And my purpose, God, the way he wired me, once you end up functioning in that purpose, it is so fulfilling. It is so wonderful. It is so meaningful that you start to understand what a legacy looks like. And finally, you end up with the fourth step which God has called all of us to and that is to make a difference in our world, make a difference in our community, make a difference in our family, make a difference in the realm in which we live. And so we've got to understand these are steps for all of us. Making a difference is not the step that, you, you, that only is reserved for the super Christians. Every one of you can make a difference. You know why? Because Jesus lives in you. No matter where you are on your journey, he wants you to learn how to make a difference, how to discover your purpose, how to, how to find freedom in the midst of your life. And, and it's, my, it's my experience that I see these four steps going on all at the same time over and over again in people's lives. And we try to make sure that this happens in our groups, in our teams. Catalyst is a really important process for us in our church where we learn how to be a disciple, how to follow Jesus, and how to make disciples. And we, we, there's a whole entire semester where we talk about what it looks like to find freedom in what Jesus has given you. I think, it's, I think it's really powerful. We've got to take these steps. But this is what legacy is about, is finally understanding it is my role to make a difference. Again, legacy. Let's just look what it, what it means. It's right there in your notes. It says something such as a tradition or problem that exists as a result of something that happened in the past. Something that someone has achieved that continues to exist after they stop working or die. It is either something positive or negative, no matter what. There's a whole bunch of people who leave negative legacies, tragic legacies in their families, tragic legacies. The family of the man who shot all those people last week in Southern Springs, they're going to agonize with that legacy. And only Jesus can, can meet them there and, and, re, and release that from them. Right? The, but, the, but this is the point, is you and I have the power to leave any kind of legacy. You have a strong will. It is my opinion that you own the second most powerful force in the, in the universe. It is your will. God gave it to you. And he even gave you the power to override his will in your own life. You can resist it. I know, shocking. Everybody thinks, oh, everything, God's, do, God's controlling everything. Listen, God has a way of being sovereign and accomplishing his purpose in the chaos that we call this planet and everybody deciding what they want to do, he works in mysterious ways. There is no doubt about it, that's what makes him God. And only he can take your past and your yesterdays and reshape them and reformat them so that they can be helpful and a blessing to your heart, your family, and other people's lives. Only he can do that, right? But we have the power to create a legacy. And so the question is, what will your legacy be? Here's how the psalmist describes it. Psalm 125 says, good will come to him who is generous and lends freely. Notice it says, good will come to him. Good will come to him who is what? Generous and lends freely. So that means that you and I need to learn how to not keep everything that comes into our lives for ourselves. That's a lesson. It starts very early in life, and it lasts very long in life. But the sooner you learn it, the more good you will see come to your life. I need to learn how to give my life away in such a way that it makes a difference, and not only in my generosity, but in the way that I live, in the way that I interact with people. Look at the next phrase. He says, who conducts his affairs with justice. In other words, I'm going to have to be very intentional. Everybody say intentional. I'm going to have to be very intentional in the way that I live and not let life push me around and be defined by everything that's happening around me. Verse 6 says, surely he will never be shaken. Check this out. Surely he will never be shaken because the psalmist here is giving us an idea of how to never be shaken. Now, we can't control whether or not there is shaking. That's going to happen. Shaking's going to happen all around us. What we can control is whether or not we will be shaken whether or not we will trust in the rock of our salvation, the one who is unmovable. There may be shaking all around you in the world in which we live. There's so much chaos everywhere. But you and I can remain unshaken because of what we believe and who we trust in. But here's the point. If you don't find out what your life is all about, if you don't figure out what your life is all about, If you don't define why you're on this planet, what you're going to do intentionally, that you're going to make a difference, then your problems end up defining your life. Everything in life that's not going the way you want it ends up defining you. But then look at the end of the verse. It says, a righteous man will be remembered forever. What an incredible idea. See, people, that's how we need to live our lives. We need to live our lives in such a way where our lives live on beyond us. That's what legacy is because that's where my life lives on. It goes beyond myself. See, folks, what we do for ourselves, what we do for ourselves usually dies with us. What we do just for ourselves dies with us. What we do for others lives beyond us. you think about that. That's a powerful phrase. I mean, how many pairs of shoes do you really need? All the ladies? It's a thing, isn't it? Now, in my house, I'm the shoe guy. My wife, it's so, it's so annoying to me, she buys these cheap, lousy shoes and she never actually, she never buys shoes. She doesn't even want to buy them. I have to force her to buy good shoes. I'm like, babe, that you, these are the only two things you get to stand on for the rest of your life. You don't get to stand on anything else. Buy some good shoes that you can wear, right? See, you could see how easily, like my, if you look at our closet, it would be incredibly embarrassing to me because <laughs> I'm the one with all the shoes, <laughs> shoes it comes from a horrible childhood memory (laughs) i didn't have the right kind of shoes at schools and got made fun of and through all my life i just wanted the right shoes so you can see how i could make a case for having a lot of shoes I can make a serious case. You know, I need these shoes. These are important for me. I need all these shoes. You could see how easy it is to spend all that I have on getting shoes. Because these things are the only things I got to stand on for 70 or 80 years. I'm going to treat them nice. And so it goes with each thing that we're attached to. And we believe that spending on ourselves is the thing that'll make the difference. When in reality, if you will buy someone else who is in need a pair of shoes, that lives beyond. All these shoes that I've bought, (laughs) they're all gonna die with me. They're all gonna go somewhere, right? They will go to Goodwill and somebody else will get the credit for giving them to someone. You see, you see, I think we have to understand that what we do for ourselves usually dies with us, but what we do for others lives beyond us. I've discovered this over the years, that none of us are as good as all of us. None of us are as good as all of us. If we all do something together, it has powerful effect. The legacy can be ensured when all of us decide we're gonna live this way. There's so much more we can do together than we could do alone. And you, you need to know this. Already this year, we've given away more money to missions and to benevolence and church planning than ever in the history of one chapel. We are on a pace to do great stuff. You, you know that 10, 10% at least of every dollar you give, it goes out of here to somebody who is in need. And it's it's typically uh, up towards 15% of everything in our budget. We just give it away first. It's the first thing we give away because I think that's how the Bible teaches it. You give your first and your best. You don't give your last. You don't give what's left over. You give it first. And we do that as a church, and it has a powerful effect. Do you know that we were part of planting 100 churches in this nation this year? Just this year, we've been part since our birth of the Ark, which is Association of Related Churches. They're a church planting agency, and we've helped plant six hundred churches over the last seven years. Been incredible, incredible! What we see already this year, one hundred and eighteen people have committed their lives to Christ. This is these are the people, oh, the people we know about because they filled out a little card. There's more. I want you to understand that. Together, we, we are doing something that is making a difference in people's lives. Eighty-three people this year have been water baptized and celebrated with the, with the life that God has given us. Both Kyle, One Chapel Kyle and One Chapel Lake Travis went to two services this fall, the, the Austin community, is, as we're having to ask the question, we keep bubbling up to a full auditorium, and then we'll go back down for a few weeks, then we'll go up to full, and then we'll go back down. There's a question about what do we do next? What do we do in this building? What do we do with this building? What's next for us? Where are we, where are we going to put our influence? This is what we have to be thinking about and concerned about. I love this stat almost 700 people are part of team 1 across the three locations of one chapel think about that 6 i think 674 i think is what the actual number 674 people are using their gifts serving people making a difference in the lives of others listen it is what life is about None of us are as good as all of us, and there's so much more we can do together than we could ever do alone. This is, what, this is what the legacy offering is about that we're talking about on December 10th. We're talking about a pivotal moment in the life of our church, and we're looking at this legacy offering as a practical way that we're asking a really important question. What can we do together to take a giant step forward in either the purchase of property or the, or the development of children's ministry here in Austin, or one of the things we want to do is we want to we do some special kinds of things, like, like we want to give every teacher in Sunset Valley Elementary School a little something extra for Christmas, like we want to bless them because teachers always spend their own money on their classrooms, and we need to say we're with you, we're for you, we believe in you, we pray for you. Right? We need to do things like this because there's legacy in that. The legacy of Christ is revealed in that kind of activity, and we can do that together. But listen, what God's called us to do is 10 churches in 10 years. 10 Locations for one chapel all around this region in 10 years. I mean, it is an incredible task. It is beyond our ability to succeed, right? It is a big enough dream that is be beyond what we could make happen on our own. But it's going to take all of us. And it's going to take the miraculous work of Jesus in our midst. Who knew it would take money, right? You got to buy buildings, you got to do, you got to, I mean, these, this, is, this is part of the equation and what we are going to do in this December uh, legacy offering. I want you to take out your little um, um, envelope there. Can you hand me an envelope? Can you hand me that envelope? This is an envelope that I want you to take and I want you to take it home. And I, this is a thing that's kind of a point of contact for you. And it's just a way for you to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I have never wanted you to be pressured ever in the history of our church. I've never wanted to make money the issue. We, we, we give at the end of the service and we don't give by pressuring people, what, but what we believe in is generosity. And I think this is an activity here where we're asking God, here's all I want you to do as your pastor. The only thing I want you to do is I want you to pray and ask God. You ask God what you should do and then do what he asks you do what he tells you that's all this is it's an active way that we say okay we're all in we're in together and we're going to we're going to make sure that we can do 10 churches in 10 years we're going to make sure that we can send missionaries m- uh, support every single month that we can do special things this year we want to do a couple of things like buy a couple of church vans because our young people need transportation to and from places we want to do things like this and we're going to take a giant step forward so we can leave a legacy in this, in this city and in our region and this is this, this offering is simply above and beyond what you normally give this is a thing where we're saying God what do you want us to do together we're setting a course, we're setting a course for our church and where we're going to be. But if we're going to do this, we're all going to live this way. If we're all going to live with legacy in mind, the question is, how do you do this? How do you live this way? I want to give you four values that are incredibly important. All right, the first value, the first thing it's going to take, it's going to take faith. If you want to leave a legacy, it's going to take faith. And I don't mean, when I say faith, I don't just mean believe something. I, I think faith sees something. It sees something ahead. Hebrews 11 one says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In other words, I don't like the way it is. I don't see it now, but I see how it should be. Or I see how it will be faith sees things differently that's why legacy people are the people that see it legacy people there's people that see what's coming legacy people are the people that that contribute to what is beyond themselves it takes faith to do that i see my family in a different way than it currently is right i see in this austin region in a different way than it currently is i see american culture in a w- different way than it currently is i see the world differently than it currently is legacy people see things not as they are but as they will be and i want you guys to hope and dream with me the worst thing possible is if the pastor has to come up with all the ideas no, this is terrible. I'm just, I'm just one guy. I'm just trying to figure out. My role is to lead and to serve. To encourage, to empower, to equip and release, to say yes to what Jesus is doing in your life, in our lives together. It's gonna take all of us. I want you to dream with me about a church and what our church could do, what we could influence in our culture. Pastor Brian Houston is a famous pastor of Hillsong Church. He wrote an article several years ago called The Church I See. It's a great exercise for every pastor to have. I I, I did the exercise this week. I put pen to paper, and I want you to hear what I wrote, and I want you to allow it to sink into you. I see a church where people can experience the life-altering presence of Jesus where worship is so pure and passionate that people are miraculously transformed. They're healed, they're strengthened in God's presence. I see a church that is so radically consumed with the presence of the Holy Spirit that we become the witnesses. We are empowered witnesses of what God has done in our lives and we're able to tell His story. I see a church with a deep commitment to helping people move from where they are to where God is wanting them to be, walking confidently together towards Jesus and finding freedom from their fears and from their failures and their wounded yesterdays. I see a church where community and relationships are so actively cultivated that vulnerability, honesty, and acceptance become the hallmark, the characteristics of vibrant spiritual growth and formation in our lives. I see a church where every person has the opportunity to discover their God-given gifts, their per- his, his purpose in them, supernatural gifts, life-giving roles in the church in order to collaborate with God's great plan. I see a church where people are intentionally and tangibly growing in the character and competencies of becoming like Jesus becoming his followers and disciples where every person is empowered and trained and encouraged to make a difference in the lives of others. Listen, our reach goes so much farther if every one of us are following Jesus and making a difference wherever we are. I see a church that is intensely committed to demonstrating and communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ to every man, woman, and child in the Austin region that we're actually thinking about how we do this, how we communicate, how we demonstrate it. I see a church that is committing its resources, its gifts, time, boundless energy to planting churches as part of the mission to place the gospel in every community in Austin, in the Austin region and even beyond. I see a church that is so willing to help the poor, to heal the hurting, to act on behalf of the marginalized. that there will never be a reason for anyone to call us divisive or hateful or uncaring. I see a church that is so steeped in generosity that we can meet every need that exists. We can purchase any property or building and meet, achieve any goal that has God's purpose in it in our city and nation and, and the nations of the world. I see a church full of artists, creatives, cultural influencers who use their gifts for the sake of the gospel and God's kingdom purposes right here in our region. I see a church where business owners, entrepreneurs, and innovators receive Holy Spirit ideas, downloads from heaven for serving and for finding solutions to the hardest problems that our culture faces. In the Austin community and even beyond, I see a church that is a multi-generational family where each generation is not only aware of the others in the family, but collaborative, respectful, loving, and always leaning towards the next generation that is coming up. I see a church that is culturally, racially diverse, so committed to the unity of the body of Christ that people everywhere will recognize Jesus because of the astounding love that goes on in our community, healing, forgiveness that we show towards one another. I see a church where joy, optimism, and faith contribute to a culture of hope and expectation that God is for us, with us, and always acting on our behalf. That's the church I see. I want you to dream with me. Here's what Jesus said. John 4, 35 says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. He told us to see things differently than they are now. And you're, you and I are the only ones who can do it. Look what Paul said in Ephesians two nineteen. He called us living stones. He, he talked about a building. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. He says in verse 19, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. He Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it take shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Listen. We tend to want to build the church, but Jesus said he would build it. And he told you know what he told us to do? He didn't say build the church. He said he built it. He told you and I to make disciples. It's a little more messier. We tend to think, I want to build the church and hope Jesus makes some disciples. It doesn't work that way. You and I have to make a difference in the life of a person. Listen, our view of church, Paul, that's what Paul is messing with here. Your view of church. It is not a corporate entity. This is not a corporate entity, 501c3 organization. That's not all it is. It's not just a charitable organization, although we will be charitable. It is not a social club where you can just find friends, because we all need friends. Although I hope you find deep and meaningful friendships here. It is not just one of these organizations that do good works although I hope we will do some really great things. You have to remember who you are, that you're God's home, that he's living in the midst of you and that community is so fragile. You can't mistreat each other. You can't go on your own way. You can't just live it out by yourself. There's something more powerful. There's something more long-lasting. I want you to grab a hold of that. But it takes faith. You have to see it. You have to go beyond yourself. Number two, it takes sacrifice. Legacy requires a sacrifice. In order to to do anything significant, you've got to lay something down. That's why we have to continually lay down our agendas and our conveniences and our comforts. I think this is hard for us to do in our culture. Each of us are continually drawn towards selfishness. And that's why legacy people choose it. Legacy people choose it. They decide. You know, this Veterans Day weekend, we have... The most amazing volunteer army, military, in the world. They choose it. I heard one guy say, "If the, if the military wanted you to have an opinion, they would have issued you one." <laughs> he he had chosen the military, and there's a choosing at first, and then you give up, you sacrifice, you sacrifice your rights to do certain things and to be certain things for the sake of others, for the sake of this group of people that defend freedom, right? This is, this is a picture, a good picture of us as God's people that we give up, that we surrender, we sacrifice. Look at First Peter 2, 5. It says, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, Now, how does this happen? By offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, the essence of legacy is rooted in sacrifice and that's the story of the Good Samaritan. Are you familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan? Do you know this story? Okay. Jesus is telling the story. He's answering a guy's question and the Good Samaritan is this shocking answer to the to who is my neighbor. I want you to listen to the story unfolding as told through Dr. Martin Luther King. He talked about the Good Samaritan on the night before he was killed. He spoke of how we should live, of how the movement before which he was leadership, how they should walk forward and what should happen. And so I think it's so fascinating to hear his words and realize that just a few hours later, he would lose his life. Here's how he started, it's it's just an excerpt. It's It's not the whole speech. You can look up the whole speech online, but here's an excerpt, he says, let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. I like that, dangerous unselfishness. One day a man came to Jesus and he wanted to raise some questions about some vital matters of life. At points he wanted to trick Jesus and show him that he knew little more than Jesus knew and to throw him off base. And so he asked him, and just how would you define neighbor? Now that question could have easily ended up in a philosophical and theological debate, but Jesus immediately pulled that question from midair and placed it on a dangerous curve between Jerusalem and Jericho. And he talked about a certain man who fell among thieves, and you remember that a Levite and a priest passed by on the other side, and they didn't stop to help him. Finally, a man of another race came by. He got down from his beast, decided not to be compassionate by proxy. But he got down with him, administered first aid and helped the man in need. And Jesus ended up saying this was the good man. This was the great man because he had the capacity to project the eye into the thou and to be concerned about his brother. Now, you know, you, we use our imagination a great deal to try to determine why the priest and Levi didn't stop. At times we say they were busy going to a church meeting, an ecclesiastical gathering, and they had to get down on to Jerusalem so they wouldn't be late for their meeting. At other times, we'd speculate that there was a religious law that one who was engaged in religious ceremonials was not to touch a human body 24 hours before the ceremony. And every now and then, we begin to wonder whether maybe they were not going down to Jerusalem or down to Jericho rather to organize a Jericho Road Improvement Association. That's a possibility. Maybe they felt it was better to deal with the problem from the causal root rather than to get bogged down with an individual effect. But I'm going to tell you what my imagination tells me. It's possible that those men were afraid. You see, the Jericho road is a dangerous road. I remember when Mrs. King and I were first in Jerusalem and we rented a car and drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for this parable. It's a winding, meandering road. It's really conducive for ambushing. You start out in Jerusalem, which is about 1,200 feet above sea level. And by the time you get down to Jericho 15 or 20 minutes later, you're about 22 feet below sea level. That's a dangerous road. And in the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the bloody pass. And you know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking and he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to draw them over there, lure them there for quick and easy seizure, And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the question before you and I. Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to my job? Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to all of the hours that I usually spend in my office every day and every week as a pastor? The question is not if I stop to help this man in need, what will happen to me? The question is if I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? That's the question. Listen to this, he finishes the speech in this way. He says, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter to me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I'd like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just wanna do God's will and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Pretty amazing perspective. He understood legacy. He understood what he was doing was going to outlast him. Finally, the last two, I'll just give them to you quickly. Not only do you have to have faith, not only do you have to have sacrifice, but you have to have generosity. It takes generosity, and that's why legacy people give it. Legacy people give it. They share freely, Psalm 112 says. They give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They'll have influence and honor. See, this is what legacy is all about. I want to implore you during this Christmas season, during this holiday season, be generous with people. I've been hearing stories about you taking the little card that, that you leave with someone when you pay for their dinner or pay for their coffee or you're generous in some way. It just says a little something extra. They're all out here on the table in the lobby. You can go out and get some, pick up some on your way out. There's something that happens when we decide to be generous. God shows up. We have God encounters. Jesus appears to people in human flesh and it's you. Number four, it takes urgency. It takes urgency to realize that we're in a special moment in history. Listen, and church, as your pastor, I'm telling you we're in a special moment in the history of our church. What is next is incredibly pivotal for you and for me. Seven years old, a vision God's given us, we've got to move it forward. And so there are incredible opportunities that lie before us in our city, so many opportunities. Martin Luther King Jr., he said it this way. He said, we are now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today and we are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. In this unfolding conundrum of life and history, there is such a thing as being too late. This is no time for apathy or complacency. This is a time for vigorous and positive action. And that's why legacy people do it today. They just decide. This is our moment. This is our time. And today matters Paul said it in Ephesians 5. He said, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I want you to say this out loud after me. I want you to repeat it because I think it's so critical that we understand this. Everybody say, God help me to live my life as if this is the day that will be remembered. Close your eyes and bow your heads